Fuck. All right, let's we're rolling. Rolling. Planet B presents presents presents. Cult and culture podcast. Oh my God, my ears! If you listen to this above twenty percent volume, you'll have permanent hearing loss. Nine out of ten audiologists recommend you don't listen to this album. The one that does isn't ethical and is after your money. So much noise. Editor's note, no audiologists have been surveyed. Welcome to episode 22 of the Colton Culture Podcast. I'm Justin Pearson. And I'm Luke Henshaw. What you just heard was the Doomsday Student, uh, a self-help tragedy review by Perfect underscore sound underscore whatever underscore reviews on Instagram. What's her name? <laughs> uh, Kate Carnell. Kate. Um, what's up, Kate? Uh, I hope your 92 followers appreciated that review. I, I, I mean, I think like negative press is better than no press at all. And I think it was right. I think it's pretty accurate for someone that doesn't get it to say something. It's pretty subpar. There's like not even any like zingers in there. It's just like she just farted out like kind of a dumb review yeah. of a record that's, I think. It's safe to say it's annoying and weird for people that are into annoying and weird shit, you know? Mm. I mean, it's a pretty freaky record, you know? And it's a weird-ass band, but, um, yeah, you don't get it, and so you just have this, like, kind of weird criticism of it, a, a, a review, I guess. You know, you're, you, like, I don't know. I guess everyone can be a critic on social media these days. Yeah, everyone, definitely. <laughs> I think, though, it's, like, one, it's important for everybody listening. I, I assume most of you are in bands and stuff like that. And to not like get discouraged with negative reviews because they're like fucking funny. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it is like the Planet B review. You know, the lady said that our album sounded like something you listen to at 4 a.m. in a meth lab. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it kind of sets a tone for like uh, weird saying what you just said reminds me of like an episode of Breaking Bad or something. And you're like, okay, that's cool. I could totally be psyched on, uh, you know, Planet B being on a, on an episode of that show or something. Yeah. And, it, and it makes sense. You know, yeah. it's, it's weird. And it had nothing to do with the album. Maybe she was like this, you know, the beat structure or, you know, the vocals or whatever. I still wouldn't <laughs> yeah. care. But if somebody could pinpoint something, yeah. you know, it was just like, I mean, that review of the Doomsday Student record, it just says, this is noise. It doesn't really kind of, it doesn't really go anywhere. It wasn't saying like, oh, the the drum beats were whack or the vocals were, n- yeah. you know, the li- I, in the comments they kind of criticize some of the the um the lyrics, but it's like still even to that. I mean, that stuff's subjective. Like it's not always spelled out. Oh, this is what the person's actually singing about. I, I don't know. I just think like, well, I guess you know, part of me is like, I want to say like, oh, these this, these reviewers are lame. Like fuck them. But then I also think, well, they just spent their time you know, focused on this record, like jokes yeah. on them really. Because for me, when I don't like something, you'll never know because I'm never going to even give it the give time it. of day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so with that being said, you know, having, having uh, our guest, Eric Paul of, of ton of awesome bands, psychic graveyard, doomsday student, Chinese stars, uh, airborne radar, and also a published author and poet mm-hmm. and also a professor. professor. Yeah. I mean, the dude's resume is pretty gnarly, and you know if some some turd wants to talk shit about his record, like oh well, you know I mean yeah. that, that guy's rad, and he and also just I mean even if you don't like his music, I mean he, he is an amazing human being, and he's a creative human being. I mean we'll dive into that like my first experience with him and how I was just blown away by his his ability to perform in such a bizarre 
way that like I feel is completely original uh, mm-hmm. and, and everything he does I mean even like the stuff he writes about and the way he speaks and and his stage presence I mean there he has something that he uh, he created a, on his own and if you don't like it that's fine but um, you can't really just write it off as like noise or something you know there's there's a lot of shit going on there yep all right well let's dive into this podcast with Eric Paul and uh if you get a chance, I highly suggest checking out his um, all of his his body, his large body of work, or his body as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, check out his body of work, and um, someday you, sh- you guys should ask him about how he got canceled by uh, Kathleen Hanna. My name is Eric Paul. <laughs> I am. The vocalist and lyricist currently for Psychic Graveyard, but have been the vocal and lyricist for Arab on Radar, Doomsday Student, Chinese Stars. I am also a f- father, a husband, and uh, an animal lover. <laughs> nice. Do I have the job? You got it. <laughs> yeah. it all, all points check off. <laughs> um, okay, so the, I guess I want to dive into just coming like when i first met you i was i think the, the there was this mysticism and this is this is pre-internet or maybe at least pre like the internet as we know it you know there was maybe like a internet but we didn't use it like we did mm-hmm. but i remember like being on toward the locust and jenny piccolo and we were so excited to play with drop dead and they're like oh there's this band Arabon radar who's playing they're like a way better version of us maple and we're like well fucking hey this is gonna be some shit and so i like i remember just um, seeing your gear set up and and we were very excited um, by the by the odd stuff that you had on stage. This is when Andrea was yep. still on the band, mm-hmm. and um, we were we were like um, pretty psyched. And <laughs> it was a, in Atlanta, and I remember the door opened a little bit, and I could see you guys in the back, and you all looked uh, well. The brief second that I could see in there, you all had your Dickies jumpsuits on yep. or outfits on, and, yep. I, and I was like, "Fuck, they all look like mechanics." And and Andrea. <laughs> didn't have a shirt on so nope. i was like and there's this topless woman like this is gonna be really good i'm sure <laughs> you know that must have looked insane yeah it did <laughs> it was like four mechanics on the road that kidnap a woman or some yeah. weird thing <laughs> yeah, like, what was, the fuck it was fucking crazy yeah but it was crazy because the, your relationship with drop dead was a was a strange um sort of point to try to reference i was like i don't understand but here we go yeah and i remember you came out and instantly i was like oh this is the best band i've ever seen <laughs> and um everybody performed amazingly but you specifically as a as a as a vocalist and as a performer yeah. had like the most unique and most bina- bizarre uh stuff going on and I, and i and and so like <laughs> i would love to kind of ask you where these things came from because for one i mean okay you have your whole your whole i don't want to say like like your whole your whole thing that you do mm-hmm. but the one thing that really stuck out was to me was after the set was going it got hot and, and it was in atlanta again you know so like you took your shirt off and i remember you were like pretend or maybe re- actually pulling out your nipple hair and flicking it at people uh. <laughs> As embarrassing as it is to admit, I did. It was my real hair. Okay. <laughs> Either way, I was like, "This is so creepy and like the coolest shit I've ever seen." Um, so there's, so there's like the antics, you know, and then, yeah. and then there's also your 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 vocal style and technique. I, I, where do these things come from? Because they are from another planet, as far as I can tell. 
Uh, I think it's a hybrid of being a very uniquely Rhode Island person. <laughs> there is just uh, an energy that is in Rhode Island. And I think if you can kind of connect with it, it it warps you in a very positive way, and it's it's very it's very hard to explain. It's just this sort of really just I don't know I don't know like uh, I don't know like blue collar madness. I guess is kind of the, the you know the the how it felt anyway growing up. But but I think a lot of, a lot of it just stems from the way my anxiety manifests. You know. Um, I grew up with a single mother and I had a really fucked up childhood with my mom and, you know, like crazy father, but it all happened in like the most Rhode Island of all places. So I think a combination of that and also being in love with Rhode Island just kind of manifested into that. So the stage was a place to just kind of be as anxious as I wanted to and know that it was a form of entertainment and not something that I needed to be embarrassed about if I was in public. So anxiety is. The, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, like real, just intense, uh, yeah, anxiety. Because that's still a thing that I picked up on even the other night when I saw psychic. Oh, uh, my anxiety! I'm just better at it now. I do, I do anxiety better than I did in my twenties. Yeah, but it's still pretty there. Yeah, but it seems okay, and I'm not saying that like your anxiety is is not genuine. Yeah, I wish it wasn't genuine. Yeah. And therefore, I'd be like, oh, but it did look like part of a performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny though because it, it, it's interesting that you bring it up though because there is a point where, if you think about when anyone perform, I've been you know after 20 years of performing, it it's in some ways it started that way like some manifestation of life into the performance and then after doing it for so long that's almost what you understand performance to be does that make oh, sense sure, yeah. you know so it's like now it's a little like muscle memory uh -huh. and a, a, like of or now you know on stage your brain it's like pavlovian your brain gets back into that space that it that it created for itself to find solace and also maybe yeah. it's you're like sort of exercising a you know some kind of demon or something so like you're back yeah. on stage doing the thing that feels um, cathartic or something yeah yeah so it's almost like a, like it was like a learned a learned not like a learned behavior but it was like in my early 20s with arab and stuff i think a lot of, like a lot of all of us it was like we were taking our lives putting it like filtering it through our bodies and delivering it to the audience from the stage but now I can clearly say, was I, am I now in the same headspace I was in my 20s? Absolutely not. No, you know what I mean? Like I d certainly deal, I, I still struggle with some aspects of mental illness, but after so long, I'm generally pretty happy now. Like, uh -huh. I, you know, with my son and my, I love my job and I love all these things that I do. So I don't have the same stuff I had. But yeah, when I get on stage, it's like it gets back and it stands outside of reality. Uh -huh. It's like you step on the stage or you're about to perform. You're getting into that other dimension. So then it does come out in a very similar way. Yeah. Like that anxiety is still there. Like it's hard for me to imagine being on stage and not reconnecting with those 
memories or reconnecting what that anxiety that initially inspired me to like get on stage in the first place which which is like almost like therapy in itself yeah yeah so it feels really it feels really good like you know i don't know in that way so it is kind of weird because sometimes it's funny i I guess i'm trying to make like make sense of it like because sometimes i'm like i still feel like a very similar performer and i know where that performance was initially inspired from and I still have had that style of performance the whole time. But outside, when I stepped off the stage in like my 20s or something, my life was just as chaotic as it was on stage, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. But then when I step off the stage now, you know, it is not doesn't have as much of that chaos, you know. Um, so then I ask myself, like, am I being genuine with the way I perform now because I don't have the chaos off the stage? Uh-huh. But then, so so I feel like the question you're bringing up is really thought provoking for me because then I ask myself, like, am I still being authentic? But I think I am because this is how I learn to perform. Yeah, and I'm performing, and I'm I love writing records and performing and touring and stuff, and I don't know how to perform any other way except something that had been established 20 years ago. Yeah, but also too like. And, and luckily for you, I guess your um, your resume, I guess, or the stuff you've done in the past still holds up. For, like for me, I always kind of cringe. Like people will say like, they'll say, oh, Swing Kids, did, you know, saved my life or th- this or that. I'm like, fuck, like I, that's shit. That band was like not that good on, on my part. Like the rest mm-hmm. of the people, that's cool. But like for me as a vocalist, I think like, fuck that shit. <laughs> like, yeah. But and then I think like, okay, I got to say thank you and I got to appreciate that, which yeah. I do. But, but I, I would never want to do it like I did it then. Like, I, it, yeah. it was fucking dumb. Uh, yeah. But I didn't know any better, you yeah. know, and I learned. And it's also there's another interesting aspect of it where I used to have more mixed feelings about it when somebody would be coming to see your current band, which you are very excited yeah. about. You think about a lot. You're putting a lot of your heart and soul into it. Um, and then they're saying, I like this band you did 20 years yeah. ago. And, and I used to be a little bummed about that. Yeah. And because I've been in, you know, four bands and, and, and even last night a guy came up to me and asked me to sign a soak the saddle record at oh. the show. And, and, you know, there's a funny feeling about that. You know, that record came out like 20 years ago and it's, you want to like tell them like, well, I'm really excited about this and I'm, this is what I'm doing now. This is what yeah. I'm part of now, but it's almost like they can't see that p- presence. Uh-huh or the immediacy of what you're doing now. It's like they see you as something from 20 years ago, but I also don't think it's like necessarily a bad thing. Like, I think it's like, maybe that's how they got in. They got into you. Think about all the you know? millions of bands out there that no one gives a flying fuck about yep. at all ever. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's kind of nice in some ways, but like it, it, ha- it started happening um, a lot in the early days of the Chinese stars, which it kind of made sense. Cause you know, Arab had just broken up, but you know, people come to the show and like, I, I love, you know, I loved Arab on radar. I loved Arab on radar. And I was like, well, this is an Arab on radar. Like this is, you're at the wrong show, yeah. you know? And I used to get a little like bent out of shape, but now I'm just like, you know what? It's, it's best to have just people look at, look at what you're doing cumulatively but they're still you know? there like they still came to see you the other night yeah and yeah it wasn't and it, like they were like i don't care yeah and they enjoyed the show yeah. and they bought the record and, and i think it's probably a thing that eventually they'll look back on this time and say i was at that yeah. second graveyard show at that show 10 years from now where they oh, yeah. were 
probably not born when <laughs> he looked like a very young man. Yeah, yeah. He probably wasn't born. So the the mysticism, as sure. you were saying earlier, or the allure of it or the legend of it yeah. is more mystical because they weren't there. But also, too, I think, like, time does something because I think yeah. Airborne Radar, like, has now become solidified in that world of, like, legends or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. And so that so people probably have to look – people probably – inherently look at it like that like oh they're this thing where, where like mm. your new band is your new band and it's yeah. still happening it's still tangible right yeah. right now yeah so maybe that is uh yeah i agree i think time makes something seem more magical or i don't know like historic yeah you know yeah um but you know i can tell you when <clears throat> in arab on radar basically the entirety of that band except for maybe the last year or two we played in front of nobody. <laughs> so it was like kind of funny when people are like, oh, you guys changed yeah. everything. And yeah. I was like, we had two good tours. But I mean, the, the Oops <laughs> tour was, uh, was, yeah. it, was it. That's what that's what felt like the sort of when all of the things came together, uh-huh. like the years of hard work and the years of trying to convince people like, no, we, we it's okay. We can play with like Dianoga. It's fine. You uh-huh. know, like we can play on these bills that we've no business being on, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, no, we're good. We're cool. You know? And then finally, then when that, all those bands coming together were all like of, of a different energy, different aesthetic, but had a thread they shared between each other. Yeah. So then it kind of, it almost put it, like uh, in people's faces so that they could say, oh, this, yeah, you know? Yeah. But that's when we felt like a lot of hard work had paid off. Oh. And then right after it just, it, the band broke up. Yeah. So and it's it, funny for me when people are like, you guys are legend. It's like, wow, I missed out. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I only saw one tour of it. <laughs> I mean, it'll, I guess you'll have to wait and do something like Misfits, you know, getting back together and playing like, huge arenas or something that is so surreal i mean yeah i bet it for them right they were never beyond a club band yeah. for the most part and then suddenly to hear those like and this is no offense to them but like you know if you want to think about it like you know to hear like we are 138 in a fucking coliseum yeah like that yeah. song is not that song is very poorly written yeah and, and, and you know good thing they had dave lombardo playing drums and, and yeah. then this, the other guy playing second guitar because yeah. they would have been a bad <laughs> all around so yeah. it's kind of weird to think about that and, and take it out of its context but no one i mean how else would a band like that that becomes legendary like function because it's kind of a good example like to not to get off track but like lightning bolt they got huge and then as soon as you started seeing him like not on the floor, it was like, well, this is weird. And like, not the, norm, not the thing that, because them playing on the floor was always like their shtick. And it was kind of like what created mm. this special this energy thing. Yeah. And, and then, and then, and then, uh, and then they were getting on like big festivals and stuff. And, and it's like, well, that's couldn't do that. Yeah. As much. Yeah. I mean, I saw them like a couple years ago and they played on the floor and it gave me all those old feelings. Yeah. But I had seen them perform on the stage too. And, while it's amazing because then I can actually see what they're doing yeah, yeah. as musicians um, without getting hurt. Yeah. <laughs> it's It still lacked that sort of intensity, you yeah. know, that um, when you're surrounding them um, and they're in the middle of the floor, that was just this other level of experience. But at the same time, when there is a thousand people there and you, it's so hard to be in the middle of yeah. the floor, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I would feel like if I went, you know, traveled to a festival and it's like, they fucking play on the floor and only like 15 people could really see it. And yeah. I'll be like, fuck that. Yeah. 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 So there's that sort of, yeah, the practical logistics just, of it. But artistically, things aren't made 
for that. Yeah. So I wonder, like, if 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 a band like, well, I mean, Airborne Radar, but maybe even Psychic Graveyards. Like, it seems like maybe I mean, could, I don't know. It's a, it's a it's, or, or Doomsday Student, and I think like out of I think out of your resume, like Chinese stars seem like the most, and I use this like in quotes, like mm-hmm. accessible. Yes, like where there was I agree. Like, oh, there's hooks and yeah, there's, I agree. Like melody, and it was kind of like not as abrasive or aggressive. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, like, also I think that the world is changing and being more open to like kind of fucked up stuff, fucked up in a good way. Yeah, yeah, um, a lot of really, uh, for lack of a better word, experimental you know, bands or musicians are getting a lot more popular than I would imagine they would have gotten, you know, 20 years ago Yeah. whatever. And I think that's exciting. And even in some pop songs, you hear these pretty experimental, like, no- mom- yeah, and moments. Yeah. And I was like, am I listening to this? Is this happening yeah. right now? So I, I do think that um, people may be more accepting of things than they, they were. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I do. I, I like that you brought up that, that Chinese stars was more accessible because I, I, I agree with that. I yeah. do. And it's funny because like a lot of that was a, because it was a reaction to not trying to, I was trying to, it was like coming out of the shadow of Arab on radar. It was like, okay, we can't sound like that because people will anger, but I need to do something that feels a little bit like me. How can I, do this so that band was kind of in a lot of ways i joke as like some sort of identity crisis for myself well i think some songs came out of it that i appreciate Uh and i but for the most part i was like i don't know who the fuck to be right now i can't be that guy because i'll anger all those people and i I was only that guy because i was with that combination of people yeah and it's so genuine and authentic um so it was like a lot of like Chinese stars was Chinese stars was like kind of a learning experience. Like, where do we go now? Like, cause that, you know, as Arab on radar, I was a teenager Yeah. and we just called cr- Um, I, I got, wait, your first show was opening for, um, Marilyn Manson. That was a crazy story. And I think that was 95 and I graduated high school 92. So I might've been 20, 1920, okay. but Craig and Steve and I had been playing, um, in like, another iteration of it when I was like, so umbrella, I think I was 19. Umbrella. Oh. So we kind of learned how to make music together. And then we listened to those albums and we thought about what band Arabon radar was going to be so young. We were so young in our, our creative journey or whatever. So then after you, you learn how to do that and then you can't do that anymore. Uh-huh. You're just kind of like, you what, can't do you, that because you, of the critics. Or whatever. Well, I, I just think that what made Arab on Radar so unique was just there will never be two people that play the guitar like that yeah. with each other uh-huh. again. I mean, whatever. Like, I know that there have been problems in the past with Jeff, and and um, but I don't think anyone will ever play the guitar uh-huh. like Jeff and Steve did together. I don't want to compare there. stuff at all, yeah. but, but I think that Doomsday Student nailed it as far as guitar playing in that level those two like paul and, oh yeah and, and Steve uh, thank together. you that's that's yeah i mean they were a great team yeah well okay so i don't want to compare the two because i think i think that's just fucked up to do yeah but like i think with steve and jeff in airborne radar there was two like sort of different kind of riffs happening but yep. but in doomsday student it seemed like the two riffs meshed they played with each other and they're more cohesively yeah or like they kind of fit like 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 
like a handshake. You know, yeah. it kind of felt like, yeah. oh yeah, this is very. It, they the two sounds go together. Yeah. But with that being said, oh fuck, I was gonna, I was. I, it's so funny. This morning on Instagram, there was this um, post about Doomsday Student. Um, I think I think it was um, a self help tragedy maybe. Um, and it was like this weird. I don't know what the fuck it was. It was a, it was a review. <laughs> it was just like. It, it, as far as industry standards, it was like terrible. But as far as like I'm concerned, and I'm probably assuming you too, it was like so rad. And I was like, "Fuck, this is the coolest shit!" <laughs> like, because you know, they're basically like, "This is this is noise. Like, this isn't music. Like, this is not like I." They're like, "Don't listen to this music." And I was like, "Fuck, this is so cool." Don't listen. <laughs> like, to this. I love that. Yeah. Um. I, I and also too maybe because I think a lot of what what. Maybe to that younger person that asked you to sign that record the other night, the mm-hmm. Airborne record. Maybe, maybe they 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 see this because it's something that's really important. Where I think that if you make art, whatever it is, if music and and if people love it or hate it, then you are successful. But when they're indifferent, that's when you've sort of failed. And I and I feel like Airborne Radar and and definitely Doomsday Student mm-hmm. and probably now Psychic Graveyard is probably the same shit. Like where people are like. They don't feel indifferent about it. They have an opinion. Yeah. And that's, I think that's good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it was interesting that you brought up. So, Paul and Steve were the guitar <clears throat> players, Paul Vieira and Steve Maddox. And one of the things about Doomsday Student that was actually more or less a conscious decision when writing songs was to have a more cohesive, um, cohesive guitar lines yeah so we would think a little bit about it because we knew that you know steve had been playing off another guitar player in arab uh-huh. and now he's playing off another guitar player and um doomsday student and we while there are some similarities i mean steve is just steve whatever he picks up it's steve you, uh-huh. you, He's like, you know, he could pick up an acoustic guitar yeah. and it's, you know, yeah. so we were trying to figure out, it was like a different philosophy about the guitars. So we actually used to talk about how Paul could, would, Paul and Steve could play together in a similar way, but different in a more, you know, and yeah. so there was a lot of like talk about that. And then actually there would be a lot of like times that we would just scrap guitar parts because we'd be like, it sounds a little reminiscent of that. Let's oh, maybe, you know, so yeah. you, we were a little conscious about that, but I do think that, um, Paul and Steve played in a, like that. It was more integrated, more like composition, I guess. Yeah. I Com- yeah. But maybe also too, it's like the thing where you had to do it once to get to that point. To yeah. Go like, Oh, we're going to grow from this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that this might be kind of weird too? And, 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 and if you don't agree, then just tell me. But I really feel in a lot of ways that San Diego has a lot of similarities to Providence as far as like the creative output of art that happens and the, mm-hmm. the sort of like um, uniqueness, I, I, I think, of the of the stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're here with me and you're yeah. in a band with people from San Diego right now. So yeah. maybe that maybe that is. Oh, I, I agree. I actually. um I met David Scott Stone uh-huh. last night at the show. Yeah, lovely and, human being. Yeah, yeah, and he was praising S- San Diego f- in the same way that someone might praise Providence. Uh-huh. And it was really, really exciting to hear that. Because uh-huh. a lot of times people would say, 
oh, I wish I got to see Fort Thunder. Yeah. I wish I got to see Landed when they played Fort Thunder or Lightning Bolt when they played Fort Right. And uh, what is Ben from Load Records like? You yeah. know, those people that are reminiscing about <laughs> yeah. about uh, about Providence. And um, Davis Scott Stone was, was having that sort of nostalgia about um, San Diego. Huh. And I was actually really excited about it. And he was talking <laughs> about, like, the early days of – like locust and he was talking about gravity records yeah. and you know and talking about you know hot snakes and and, and i was like that's this is kind of cool to yeah. hear you know and so i do i agree i think that there is um uh something very uniquely weird about san diego yeah but it was kind of like when i first met you like you guys were on tour with drop dead which doesn't seem like on the on paper like that yeah would be we very... shouldn't have been why <laughs> i'm kidding well i think that okay, i feel like this lineup drop dead airborne radar locust jenny piccolo is a perfect lineup that would that would work right now if yeah those, if all those bands that would be wild bands. yeah like to me it made sense but at the time i was just like what the actual fuck is drop dead doing with these guys yeah and i think what it was is that so drop drop dead does something psychologically that is outside of what they're doing musically right there's this intensity like you know 80 percent of their show is what radiates from their brains into the audience uh -huh. it's like for lack of a better word vib vibrations or energy right and we felt compatible because what we were transmitting was that sort of intense energy or that cerebral energy to the audience and i think that they recognize that energy in us and and we were largely inspired by them i mean i saw how so drop dead at i was 15 years old yeah <laughs> and i saw them play at a place called as220 uh -huh. and i was terrified <laughs> and it wasn't so much the music that terrified me it was the intensity of their performance uh -huh. and i felt like at any moment something really bad was going to happen <laughs> and i loved that feeling so that that's the influence that part, yeah not a musical influence an aesthetic influence no not much musical yeah. i love their music yeah. but i don't think we've taken anything no, musically from yeah them. okay I, at first i thought that's what you're saying no I like, I don't no care. i if anything we took that sort of step into the haunted house and see if you, <laughs> see if you get out alive <laughs> and that's i know that's it's like why people like horror movies right uh, you're uh, just like you want to feel like what the fuck what's gonna happen yeah i'm nervous i hope that thing doesn't come out and touch me and i want to you know that like extra like whatever so what i did was i they sort of broke that like invisible barrier between the audience and the, the stage as if you're in a haunted house and like someone grabs you yeah. you know that like oh my fuck you know yeah. and i loved that they were doing that yeah so they so we were largely influenced by the music of six finger satellite mm. who was actually on that bill and I was there. Wait, that same show we oh the same when you saw yeah it was holy yeah. it was a band called Holy Cow, Six Finger Satellite and Drop Dead, and I was really obsessed with the music Six Finger was making uh -huh. and also the albums that were inspiring them to make the music. Uh -huh. I didn't know anything about Drop Dead's lineage in terms of what records were inspiring them. Yeah, <clears throat> even their music I enjoyed it, but it wasn't anything that I felt like compelled to create myself okay but that psychological aspect of it yeah. that existed outside of their music freaked me out i was scared uh, so so the it was the um it was like you were drawn there 
because of Six Finger Satellite. And yep. then you just happened to see this other thing. I had no idea who they were. And then when I saw them and they terrified me, uh-huh. I thought about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I was like, I want to know what that was. And then I would go back again and again to uh-huh. see them and start really trying to understand why I felt scared. <laughs> and then that was sort of the, 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 the part of that like other like, oh, you can you can kind of make like, I don't know, you can make this sort of unique music that's predicated on other unique albums and you can do something kind of original but you could also incorporate that other energy that like a lot of like, what would genre, what genre would Drop Dead be considered? I mean, like nowadays, crust punk, well, yeah. people always call it power violence. I yeah, guess, you know. but there's this, and an energy to the music, right? Um, and it was like, how to bring all those things together. So yeah. that was kind of the beginning. Who headlined that then? Was it, was it Drop Dead? Actually, was Holy just... Cow did. Holy Cow oh. was this band, they were actually from New Bedford, Massachusetts. And um, the singer was Native American, and um, it was it was uh, the drums were all like there were no like traditional um, like you know like rock yeah, beats. Yeah. It was all like toms, uh-huh. and there was um, a bass player and the guitar, and all the music was just it was sort of like a post punk, but like really heavy toms. Uh-huh. And then the singer was really um exciting like huh. i remember really liking him as uh, in high school yeah he had like a like a, a mohawk all the way back down and he'd light these incense Whoa. and he had this giant horn that he would play huh. and i remember as a kid just being like this is wild yeah. you know but it was different it didn't it didn't it didn't communicate the energy that drop dead was communicating of course so i just started going to see drop dead all the time yeah and then we all started to go see them and then a friendship blossomed and then they just said you want to go on a tour with us <laughs> and we're like okay <laughs> so how, how was it on the other shows do you remember we were there they weren't really interested yeah in, yeah it was a tough tour that night though or that show when we played together people were on the level yeah there was two nights i remember specifically that went very well for us one was atlanta and one was um greensboro north carolina like huh. people that were there were um they connected with us, uh-huh. and I remember that feeling really good. Um, we played knitting, knitting Factory on that tour, and at that point, we started getting some crowds in yeah. New York, so we had like a little bit of a crowd for ourselves there, and then they had their crowd. But for the most part, they, were, they didn't know how to process what was happening. Yeah. You know, because I think there's a lot of homogeny in that scene. Like a lot of the people dress similar, and they they seem to like the same kind of bands. And in what scene? The, yeah, and like well, from my like brief experience in a on a cross punk tour, there seemed to like you know a lot of like mindedness, I yeah. guess. So I think we were kind of for them. They they didn't get why these guys in leisure suits were playing punk oh, rock, you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wait, you guys were still, who was in leisure suits? Um, I think when we, Oh no, by you're right. By that tour, we were doing the Dickies. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So we were on the dick. Okay. Cause I remember right before the Dickies, we were, we would wear these weird leisure suits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that might've been one of the first tours with the Dickies uniforms. Okay. Cause we, we were actually inspired by heaven's gate 
to where yeah. I was. Oh. <laughs> we were in a rest stop in um, on I-80 when it occurred, and there were images all over the CNN was playing on all the um, televisions, and we just saw those images, the images of the feet and the sneakers, <clears throat> yeah. and we were... We didn't know what it was, but we were so blown away by the imagery of it. Yeah, <laughs> and I think someone. There's a new documentary out uh, on on like Netflix or Hulu or something about about it. It's pretty uh, good. Oh yeah, very yeah. very well um, told full story of yeah, everything. Yeah. you know. Yeah, I have to check that out because yeah. we uh, were really like that's where the sort of inspiration came from was. Which is like the Doomsday Student um, photo that you guys did, right? With a that was very photo. inspired yeah. by yeah. Evans yeah. Gate. Mm-hmm. I think I have a problem with. <laughs> cults <laughs> yeah it's crazy because i i think um do you know jimmy lavelle he was in the locust a little bit before we met but he jimmy lavelle, any, anyhow he's a san diego um musical native and some yeah uh and he, he he um i think was one of my friends that worked at the movie theater that they all went to the day they committed suicide so oh my it, if it wasn't jimmy it was like our roommate jessica wow or something. but they all went dressed the same they all bought like diet pepsi they all did the same shit you know and so um that was the day yeah so it was crazy mm-hmm. even here because we were like oh this fucking thing in san diego happened and then like then like some of my friends were like oh they came to the movie theater it was the hillcrest cinema really uh, they came to the cinema and and saw the and, and like did that so they got like a little bit That's of c- crazy yeah because it's like people. what movie do you watch before you it kill was some yourself. dumbass movie like, too. Uh, I think. Yeah, like something. Um, this is Doubtfire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe dumber than that. Uh, I just, I think I've just. I mean, I'm not like I'm the only one. It's just something fascinating about the sort of self hypnosis that people can, to the point that you cut off your genitalia and think that you're going to be on a, a comet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's some self delusion right there. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, uh, yeah, that's a powerful brain working against each other. So like against itself. So I I always very fascinated by that that stuff. Yeah, Ugh. I just watched this other terrible show about cults called Archive Eighty One. Mm-hmm. Don't don't bother. It's not good. If anybody's <laughs> listening to this, don't bother. <laughs> I was like completely. I have like I have a high a high uh, you know yeah. bar for cult yeah. stuff. It better be good. Yeah. I was yeah. just like nah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. I don't know, I guess let's talk about like how you ventured into just being, I feel weird saying it, but like a poet, we can say that, right? I mean, how, yeah. how you just started writing stuff that's mm-hmm. um, removed from a musical background, because that, that is something that like, I'm not sure I, I could, um, I could do, I, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. So how, how did you make that transition? How do you feel about that as far as like, I don't know, not like necessarily lyrical topics, but just your way to, to approach it, just reading. Uh, I'm trying to think of right around, right around, like when exactly I kind of was like, I want to study this more um, intent, intensely. Um, I think it was around, around 2000, 2001. And I just, just as a pursuit, I just started reading a lot of it. And I, as I started reading a lot of poetry and reading some books about like the, the philosophy behind poetry, certain philosoph, uh, certain, uh, poetic movements and stuff and growing more of a fascination with it. And also spending a lot of time on lyrics. So the lyrics were kind of my main way to, um, 
communicate with others and communicate with myself, I guess. And while I think there were some positive aspects of my lyrics back then, I never felt like they were very good. <laughs> and I wanted to become better at communicating with words. As weird as that sounds, so, oh, so you mean like positive as far as like technique, not positive as like oh this is a like a positive statement in my lyric. Yeah, no, no, uh, there's no room for positivity in my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I meant like I wanted to to, you know, ba so basically the, a lot of the Aaron Radar lyrics were just these. Me, me a lot of it was me in a vague or veiled way communicating experiences that I had as a young person but I didn't have the the tools like in terms of craftsmanship to properly communicate them uh -huh. so they just kind of came out in these like really weird ways like sporadically repeating lines oh, yeah. like stuff like that but I recognized that there was a power there for me in my self-healing mm. So I always felt that if I could figure out how to take the ideas that I had in my lyrics and take some of the imagery and the narrative piece and study how these other poets were able to do it in a more eloquent or sound way, that maybe I could do more self-healing and self-exploration with poetry. Uh -huh. So I started writing, just writing a lot of poetry and then... Um, not you know not really sharing it reading a lot about it and you know um i then thought about going back to grad school at some point to study it um intensely and there was a poet that i i really loved and i heard that she was writing she sorry she was teaching at a uh, a graduate program and i was like i want to study with this woman and it was like i was just in love with this woman her name was renee ashley i loved her work and i found the program that she taught in and i ended up applied to a, a few programs but i uh, was hoping to study with her specifically and then i remembered after applying i um you know because you have to scan your manuscript and essay and test scores and stuff um she actually called me on the telephone uh -huh. i never had any communication with her before that and I answered my phone and it was, uh, hello, this is Renee Ashley. And I was like, <laughs> and she said, um, you have to come and study at the program I'm teaching at. I read your, uh, your work. And she said something to the effect that while it's not there by any means is not there. I see potential. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I like the weird shit you're writing about, but we got to get it, you know, we got to soup it up kind of thing, you know, like in a joking way. Yeah. So I was like almost like starstruck, yeah. like that she was calling me on the phone. And then she facilitated a scholarship and then I was able to study with her. Well, so and awesome. she signed on to be my like mentor in the program. And then uh, then I just turned into a like a obsessed with poetry wow. after grad school. And then and now I'm a professor of poetry. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah it's and, and so you, hard to believe sometimes. When you, when, you, when you teach, do you have students that know you? Like, do they yeah. approve, do they go like, we like love his shit. We yeah. got to do this. They find um, so it's mixed. Okay. More of them find out about me being a musician. 
uh-huh. first. And I think it's just because of where they're at mm. in their lives, like streaming services, Spotify, all that. And then they just do a quick Google search of their professor. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I'm, I come yeah. right up <laughs> and some of them think it's cool. Yeah. Um, but don't really quite understand what I do. You know, they, it's like hard for them. You know, it's like when you're growing up and, and your uncle finds out at Thanksgiving that you're like a musician. Mm. How come I never seen you at the civic center? Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. The, you know, they don't get that there's <laughs> yeah, a lot of yeah. different ways to be yeah. mus- a musician. You're not on MTV. You're yeah, not yeah. A musician. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the, my students don't quite understand it. But then I have students that take my class because they listen to the records yeah. and they know who I am. Yeah. Um, and then I then have people that don't care at all about... <laughs> the bands <laughs> but actually read have read oh. my work in journals in poetry magazines and had a copy of my one of my collections Whoa, so cool. it's kind of a mixed bag and then there's maybe 50 percent of every class that i'm just their professor and they hate me <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> i'm just a professor uh-huh. to them you know so they don't they wouldn't know me beyond that's my professor yeah so that's wild um, I did. I I was a guest at Martin Atkins' class once. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and, and so you know, it was weird because, first of all, I was pretty sure that. Well, I assumed that most of the audience or the the sorry the the class didn't yeah. know who I was, um, because they were already enrolled in his class. So like, just this rando shows up, but then I was like trying to figure out like I don't think that these people in this in this class know that, like the severity of what this guy has been oh, part yeah. of, you know, yeah. and, and it was really strange, yeah. but he was very personable and he was talking about, you know, being on tour with like PIL and how they were all doing speed and like all this crazy shit. And I was like, you're teaching, you're talking to your students like this, you know, it was, yeah. it was pretty bizarre. It depends on the nature of the, the university. Yeah. So I have some, <clears throat> I have more flexibility. So I'm technically I'm an adjunct. So I, I'm at three universities and I work a full-time schedule at three universities. And I stay. I like to stay adjunct because it gives me the flexibility to um, be able to like take a long weekend. Uh-huh. Or if, like for example, when Mets offered us to go away in the spring, I took a semester off to go away and tour. Like I can still do that more easily mm. um, as an adjunct. But I have noticed that that each university, yeah, there's a little bit of you can a little be a little bit more honest than you can at others. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you just have to sort of, you know, just be aware of what you can be open about what you can't. And then also just on a personal level, all teachers and all professors have to figure out where they draw the line with their students in terms of what they share, what they don't share, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I'm pretty transparent about what I, when I talk about creative process and communication and everything, I'm, I talk about my son a lot because my son has taught me a lot about communication because mm-hmm. he's nonverbal. And I share that a lot um, with my uh, students, like what I've learned from my son. And maybe some mm-hmm. people don't even talk about their children in class. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of what your comfort level is. But, you know, I talk a little bit about my career as a musician, but unfortunately, a lot of my career as a musician might get me fired, so I try to not talk a little bit about <laughs> Wait, it. Wait, why would it get fired? <laughs> I don't know. Just some of the crazy lyrics and, yeah. you know, just there. Uh, even recently a, a photo of me came up. And I was like, oh, my God, my department chair saw this photo, you know. But I, I think I'm more worried about it than I should be, yeah. you know. Like I remember my very first cl- um, 
class I ever taught after grad school. I was being interviewed for it. And it's really a funny story. And I was, it was with this woman named Elizabeth Walden and she wanted to hire me to teach a um, poetry, poetry workshop. And I'm at the interview and I'm doing, you know, dressed really nice and I'm looking presentable and being on my best behavior. Cause this was like a big break for me to yeah. finally get a class, you know, suddenly the student debt's coming in and I was like, I need to fucking do something with this. <laughs> yeah. So the whole time I'm, you know, we're doing the interview and I'm doing like everything in my power to not be myself, I yeah. guess, the, you know, <laughs> and not talk about music not talk about anything just be like i'm just a person that just graduated grad school yeah. and i have a book out you know and then near, near the end of the conversation it got more casual and then it, it sort of came up naturally and it was arab on radar came up and i just went well i'm not getting hired you know yeah. you know because of the name but of the she, band but she the... brought it up uh -huh. and then i in my head i was like did she just google me beforehand like a normal oh, like yeah thing you might do in an interview and then so i was like okay she at least knows the band figure out a way play cool man be cool you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden she goes oh no i love arab on radar i've seen you s multiple Whoa. times and i was like so this whole time i've had to be somebody else <laughs> and she was just a fan and then i just asked her point blank i said how did you process the lyrics then she goes i just saw it as art and wow. I was like, wow, that yeah. was, and that was a huge moment for me. Like to just be like, there is different ways to look at it. You know, that's not just, I don't know, this cut and dry or black and white way. And then she ultimately gave me my first um, class after grad school. And um, I've, you know, I've just, I've always just sort of, she's had a special place in my heart for being able to get me into that classroom. But she also allowed me to, to have this permission to just speak about my artistic journey and speak about it all very openly. And it was kind of, um, I don't know, just kind of a big moment in my life to just, just figure out how to balance everything that was happening. Yeah. And, and then I'm still at that university. So, so everyone radar got you that job. Then. Uh, yes. Pro essentially. Essentially yeah. it did. Yeah. And what's interesting is, um, a year and a half ago I was hired to be the poetry editor at the literary magazine that the university runs. So now I'm, you know, I put the poetry section together of this highly competitive literary magazine. Yeah. And the editor in chief is uh, a, another fan of the wow. bands that I've played in. And he's a musician himself. Uh -huh. And he is playing music with the people that are in the band Neptune. Oh, you know yeah, that yeah, band? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was another really like, oh, I guess you know, you can just sort of be yourself, yeah. you know? And or it just neat. took like 20 years for all of us to get everywhere. Yeah, yeah, out, like, yeah. So <laughs> it's like kind of a strange thing. And, you know, but then I'm at one university that, you know, I know maybe they wouldn't be as open to what I'm, what I've done in the past, even what I'm doing now. Like, you know, not like it's anything as provocative as Arab on radar, but maybe they would say, how does this guy make this like, and not be able to. So uh, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, you know, but I think I'm more paranoid about it than I need to be, but it's always probably good to be on your guard, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just being mindful of all the directions that some, you know, opportunity could take. Yeah. And that was just a funny thing to just be like, 
I am not who I am. I am not who I am. And then she's like, I've seen your band multiple times. She's like, I even saw it at Fort Thunder. And, this, and I was like, thank God. It was like this, like the biggest breath I'd ever taken <laughs> come out of my body. And I was like, oh, so I got the job. Yeah. And you got it. And that's, yeah. That's yeah. So, so she hired, she hired me there. Oh, she hired me there. Um, you know, six years ago. And I've been there ever since. Wow. And it's, 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 um, probably my favorite place to teach yeah i have a lot of freedom there um i you know create my own curriculum and i love that i'm part of the the magazine there and stuff wow. so and also they're very understanding about um they know exact everyone in the department knows exactly who i am for who i am so i can just be myself yeah. and that feels really good uh-huh that's so crazy, man. <laughs> I thought like something bad would have happened. Oh, I thought I was being like, you know, like scolded. Like yeah. I was being brought to this and say, how dare you apply for this position? You know, yeah. I mean, at least like if you Google my name, it's like me wearing a fucking mask. Like it's just like, <laughs> like no, I'm like, dude, can you just put a regular photo up on whatever? You know, like that's the person that comes Oh, is up. it the like the thing on the side? They like, like yeah, 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 that image. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> the mask one just looks like yeah. I'm a terrorist or yeah. something or an alien. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. Like, yeah, there is somebody. God only knows who it is that is always swapping out the images on um, the Wikipedia that someone oh, created yeah. for me. Uh-huh. And uh, so if occasionally when you Google me, they'll just be a very funny photo. Okay, I got to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I don't know how to use Wikipedia, but I know that there's a, a guy who follows uh, the bands in Pittsburgh. His name is Jake. And I'm like, ah, oh, Jake, he sabotaged my Wikipedia page yeah. again. <laughs> oh, man. I've tried to sabotage my own, and it doesn't work. Because <laughs> there's, like, wrong shit. I was like, I think I should just it's, change it. And I, then... I'm just always like, oh, I can't. I don't know. It's, weird. it's so weird. Yeah. Wikipedia is funny. They got me a job at, at Rich's at this gay club. Oh, they, really? Yeah, like, uh, they don't hire straight people. And and um <clears throat> and they were like, uh, they kind of gave me the job. And then afterwards, they're like, you you realize like we don't hire straight people and i was like i know like why did i get the job they're like you have a wikipedia and i was like I, they're like how'd you get that and i was like i don't know it just was there one day I, love like, that. I don't know yeah it is funny how like wick like somebody creating or I, I don't really understand wikipedia to be honest with yeah. you but like at one point i didn't know there was one and then somebody that a co-worker had said this similar thing like yeah. What, what, like, what do you do? Why yeah. do you have a Wikipedia page? <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't know. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I didn't know, but now I, now I'm aware of it. And, yeah. um, you know, I actually, um, don't know who created it originally. Cause it's like open source. Yeah. Right. But, but there's, some, there's a gatekeeper that will not let me correct shit on there. They're like, uh, this is wrong. And I'm like, no, actually I'll put you in, I'll put you in touch with my friend, Jake. Okay. He somehow figures out how to undo everything yeah. that is done to it yeah yeah fuck, I think. the man we don't speak of it's like a <laughs> toilet not wikipedia specifically but the internet so yes i agree that. yeah um well do you want to talk about um what you're doing now like currently i mean obviously you psychic graveyard has a yeah. new record out and yeah then, i'd love that yeah, yeah. What? um so when um psychic graveyard is uh, new-ish band yeah. that I'm playing with uh, in with Nathan Joyner who you know uh-huh. from All Leather and Some Girls and Hot Nerds and um, Paul Vieira who was in uh, Chinese Stars with me and Doomsday Student and the drummer Charles Ovet 
who was in a band called Battle Beasts. And the project started because um, a member of Doomsday Student was having some health issues. And at the time, Nathan was occasionally traveling with us to take um, like pictures of Doomsday Student. And I think he was just sort of, you know, looking to just get out a bit. And, um, and then when um, Doomsday Student was put on hiatus, Nathan just started started sending me these tracks that I thought were really cool. And it kind of started as sort of like a, oh, oh, like a passion project or a fun little side project. And it was a lot of it was electronic and it was way out of my comfort zone. And I remembered specifically getting these ideas that he would send. And I'd look at Allison, my wife, and and say, he wants to sing me to sing on this. And I don't know what to do with this. And she'd say, come on, like, try, like, try to yeah. step outside of yourself. Try to. But what was uncomfortable yeah. just because there wasn't. Because there's no guitars. Yeah, but the, the way that all the guitar players that you played with sound like some strange <laughs> shit, you know, yeah. it's not like, oh, that's a cool, like, good, normal guitar. Riff. Everything sounds like a fucking robot. Anyhow, yeah. you know? But for my very literal mind, I was like, I, I, I can't, I don't, uh, you know, but in some ways, yeah, it was about it was almost finding a new perspective on it. Huh. And my wife was like, why don't you do one song? Just try one well, song. Yeah. And I sang on one song with him and he mixed it and sent it back. And I was like, wow, I, I guess I sound okay with electronic instruments. Yeah. Cause that was the fear. Yeah. I, I don't know why I just, I'm so used to hearing high pitched guitars mm. and then the voice, you know, do you think so maybe it was the uh, synthetic drums too? Or do you, or that was, that yeah. took a bit to get used to. Sure. Yeah. And so, but I was like, you know, while Craig, who who was in Doomsday Student, was healing, I said, why don't I just do this? Because I've always, you know, have a project going on. So I, we did it slowly. And then Paul was also in the same boat as me. He was missing playing while Craig was healing. And then I said, well, Nathan's been sending, you want to try to play on some of the tracks? Uh. And then... Paul played on some of the tracks. So the first, the first album was just Paul, Nathan, and I, and then Paul playing guitar. Paul playing guitar. Yeah. Nathan was like doing like, you know, the drums or drum machines, and and um, then we had a couple songs with live drums that I actually played the drums yeah. on, which was really exciting <laughs> yeah, for yeah, yeah. me. That you recorded here, right, in San Diego? Yeah, we at Earthling Studio. Yeah, yeah. And mm. but at that time when we did it, we really had no like you know sometimes when you get a product together you're like you know the trajectory of it. Yeah. Like everyone's on, on board. We didn't have a trajectory, yeah. a clear trajectory. And and then, um, uh, uh, I don't remember how it came to be, but Mark had just checked in with me at Skin Graft and I sent him the album. Almost not thinking that he would be interested uh-huh. and he just wanted to put it out. Yeah. And then, but I was very clear with him and I said, I don't know if we're going to tour. I yeah. don't know what this we don't have anyone to play live like i don't know what this is yeah but he put it out anyway and it kind of did pretty good yeah and then we were like well let's see if there's a way to do this live and we found charles and we you know spent a couple weekends together and said i think we can do this yeah. and then we booked i think like six or seven shows to just see if it would work yeah and then it kind of felt pretty good and then we then as a four-piece wrote a record that was we that was like we had a clear trajectory at that point oh, okay and then we put it out and then the pandemic shut the world down <laughs> and then during the pandemic we wrote another record yeah. hoping to sort of release it 
at the end of it, but nope, it wouldn't end. <laughs> so we released it anyway. <laughs> the one that just came out. Yeah. The split. Uh, no, that one's coming out in April. Okay. Veins Feel Strange. Oh, came, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. that came out. I don't even know when, yeah. but it was supposed to kind of come out as the world was reopening, oh, but, yeah. but with like all the variants, it slowed everything down. So we essentially released two albums in a pandemic. Mm, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so it was been weird for a couple of years because, you know, um, I had a great time writing Loud as Laughter with Nathan and Paul, and I loved it, and I still love the album. Um, but when Charles joined too, it, it felt it like a new, it was like a new energy and it felt like, okay, this is our project. This is our band. Mm -hmm. So then we were so excited to like release something as the, with the four of us and, and support it. And then it just, the world ended kind yeah. of thing. So these, this, these last shows that we just did, um, in California were among the first shows that we had done in three years. So wow. I'm kind of excited about where it's going to go in 2022 and then 2023 we are we already have a tour lined up for that following year so pretty excited wow. about it now it's funny yeah. to think about like when when you were you know opening for marilyn manson and Arab on radar and how you get how you you know like where you felt like your life was and how you yeah. said you were like what you were like on stage you were off stage and then now it's like look you know you're talking about like you know you're a professor and you're like have you know you're still touring and like doing all these things like i wonder how it's going to be in like another 10 years or 20 you know if the if the planet's still around like it'll be yeah yeah great. if the planet yeah, that is yeah. a big if right now yeah. <clears throat> very big if yeah I, I mean god i'm excited though i'd be excited to just i'd be excited to just still be alive so <laughs> yeah i'm excited to see where it, I know where it takes mean, everybody yeah. and what what it'll become yeah and and it's been fun it's been really fun to have a project again like you know because it had been a long time since doomsday student had gotten off the ground and then with doomsday student we didn't we didn't tour very often um we did you know we toured less than this band intends on touring oh, so we yeah. psychic graveyard just from the individual members wanting to tour more i oh. think we're going to be more active as a band oh. than doomsday student and um I haven't been in this space in a long time where you're since the beginning of Doomsday Student, the excitement of releasing mm -hmm. a record, excitement of getting in people's hands and, you know, showing up at a venue and seeing how it how it translated uh -huh. and stuff. So it's been a really nice experience. That's cool. Yeah. But it does have its logistical issues because we're all in different cities. But <laughs> in same in some ways it's also kinda nice because it allows us to take breaks yeah and then not and then then come in you know it's like i it reminds me a little and actually some of the you me you and i had a conversation once about headwood city and how headwood city worked uh -huh. um with all of you being in different places and it actually kind of inspired me to think that yeah maybe it is possible to just sort of you know do it in concentrated mm. periods of time and then let it breathe yeah. and do it but also we have technology too where we can sh share yeah. files a lot easier yeah. and like yeah. record pieces yeah so at home when i was in doomsday student and chinese stars it was like twice a week you had yeah. three hour rehearsals yeah. stuff like that so it was like sort of it was integrated into my daily lives where now it's kind of nice that i just say you know these this chunk of time is just this yeah. and then the rest of my time is not 
is with my family, with my job. Yeah. And in some ways it's a balance that's working out for me right now. That's crazy. Mm. Cause I remember like, even when I first started playing in bands, it was like, I didn't even have the ability to really make a shitty recording yep. to take it home. Yep. So it was like, or if I was going to write lyrics, I had to like fucking write lyrics like at rehearsal. And then yep. that was it. That was my only time I had to really yep. think about it. It was so challenging back then to write songs. It really <laughs> yeah. was. I mean, I think about like arranging songs alone, right? And you, and God, the Locust had really challenging mm -hmm. arrangements. You know, we would get to the point where like like two parts is gonna work because I can't fucking deal with more than two parts of the song. You know, oh, to, like, oh. but it was always that hard thing. Like you don't know what's gonna work, so you just have to try the idea over and over yeah. and over and over and then relearn it every practice yeah. like all that stuff where now <clears throat> that doesn't exist right yeah. you can just say let's put a weird demo version and just move the parts around oh, and yeah. hear them really quick and while that might not be the actual version you can get a perspective on the arrangement of a song within a half an hour Instead as opposed to, to like three weeks discuss it and learn yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then you can get a sense for numbers and then also lyric writing right yeah you now can take it home put headphones on and listen to it and just and loop I, it over yeah, yeah and that's that's kind of how i do them and then i just you can try stuff out in real time right you don't have to like i hope this will work and go in the room and just uh, sorry guys do this song for the 12th time i want to try to sing it again you know yeah. now i just the original demo is i just hook up a mic and mm -hmm. while they won't end up on the album those tracks they at least you can hear it painting a picture yeah, of what yeah, the song will yeah. become the technology has changed songwriting in so many ways and it's it's made songwriting so quicker so i think some of the reasons that we are like people are always asking like how do you do the record a year how do you it's like if you knew how we used to you write records <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a this is nothing yeah like i mean i remember very vividly when writing soak the saddle we had we pinned up all this like cardboard on like one of the walls and just we'd had the no because of the song we didn't yeah. come up with song titles oh. so it was like number one number two number three that was that album and i just remembered like like a, part a part b part c whatever and it would be up there and then if it didn't work there would be a line through it and then there would be all the different variations that we tried out uh -huh. so the end and i think steve has this beautiful photo of it uh -huh. and it was just all the different variations of the parts until the one that we arrived Whoa. at you know so it would take months sometimes yeah. to really get the part the the timing of the not the timing like the measures per sure. part then you know the the arrangement to you ultimately decide on that and then again it was i think at that time i was taking like cassette from a boom box home to yep. write lyrics yeah. and sometimes they didn't even hear it until i was in the studio with them like what i was doing and sometimes i never heard it <laughs> Like I, I would hear it in my head kind yeah. of, and then go in and track it and go back in the booth and be like, ah, maybe that was a bad course of action. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah, I yeah. shouldn't have been on that part, you know, like, and then you have to do so much in, in real time. Or and, even like little things like, oh, there's one too many syllables or something. Yeah. Like, like very, yeah. yeah. And now you can kind of figure a lot of that out. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it too, it also saves like some money because when you can demo outside oh, yeah. with just mm -hmm. like very primitive technology even. And not having to record onto tape. Yes. Yeah. And then going in and just wasting a whole day because, you, you know, like, together. yeah, like you didn't have it perfect. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, that was pissed away a thousand dollars or whatever it might've been, you know, now we're pretty efficient when we go in there and that's, you know, one of the good things about yeah. technology i guess the bad thing is that now more people have access to this technology and way more bad music is made but 
but what can we do, right? Well, that is very true. There's 200,000 new songs released on Spotify a day. Wow. Oh That's some crazy and shit. There's probably one good one. If that. <laughs> Maybe. There's a couple, I'm sure. <laughs> Who's going to check it all out? You know? I know. <laughs> that actually will be my endeavor. Like you send them all to me every yeah. day, Mister Spotify. Yeah, because there's not even enough time in the day to listen to it. All. I know. You're just like fuck I know. this. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So there you have it, episode twenty-one. Uh, we'd like to thank Eric Paul for taking part on the podcast, and I highly suggest uh, you guys checking out his vast array of of stuff in his catalog, musical and and written. We want to say thanks to Eric and thank you for listening. And if you get a chance, check out our previous episodes um, streaming on the 31G SoundCloud profile and also available on Apple Podcast and probably some other crappy streaming places. Colton Culture is proudly sponsored by Earthquaker Devices. Planet, Planet B. B.